Hey, this is Jilly Woodhouse on the Osteo Business Podcast, talking all things osteo business. Here's Jilly Woodhouse, an author, speaker, award-winning business coach, and passionate advocate of osteopathy. Uh, recently, a mutual friend of ours um, put us in touch with each other, and uh, we've had a chat and decided that we really must get this lovely lady onto the podcast and uh, YouTube today. So um, welcome, Sharon Gorbert. Lovely pronunciation there, Julie. Thank you. <laughs> Lovely to be here. Uh, Sharon is a, um, a ha- was originally a chronic pain therapist and is now working as a clinician coach. So um, Sharon, can you tell us a bit about your journey and, um, and what you were doing originally as a chronic pain therapist? Well, I, I juggle both these days. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I came to it because I had my own journey through chronic pain which we now call persistent pain or persisting pain as I like to call it like it's a journey through and at its worst I was taking extended bed rest shall we say for about 10 years because I was passing out from pain with regularity so despite the gloomy prognosis I got myself through that's a story for another day I think (laughs) (laughs) Because we're we're talking multidisciplinary care, which is absolutely what we would suggest for anyone with persisting pain is to find a jigsaw of therapies that that works for them. So I found the the jigsaw for me, if you like. Mm. So that led me to, as I was starting to get better, I wanted to know why am I getting better? What's going on? Got really curious and trained in cognitive hypnotherapy and then in the neurobiology of pain. And the pain science bit really piqued my interest. And I combined those and uh, specialized in pain as a pain therapist. So I've been working in that field well, for well over a decade. And over the years, as I train clinicians to make sure that they are incorporating perhaps pain science into their approach that doesn't mean regurgitating concepts to their patients but making sure that the treatment they're offering is based on solid evidence-based science and it's evidence-based practice and they're treating that individual human being not just a body part so that person that patient is far more than just a body part um they you know they come with their beliefs their values that might not be met because they're in pain um expectations and you know that predictive nature that we have as human beings keeps pain persisting so there's a complexity to pain so really interested in that and was training clinicians for years and i found that increasingly with the wealth of information that clinicians need to carry and the workload that burnout was becoming an increasing problem and this was a problem pre-pandemic can you imagine what it's like now yeah yeah I hear about it a lot actually Uh, Yeah. yeah yeah um so I I just thought look I've got a coaching background Um, I'm a pain therapist, I am trauma trained, and I have my lived experience of pain. Yeah. Put all of this together, together with the evidence, and 
start helping clinicians better. And we don't have enough of that. And, you know, I talk about things like unconscious bias, but unconscious bias training is a little bit of a disaster because it seems to be treated as a, as a tick box affair. Oh, we've done that. Great. But we all have biases and we kind of need to tune into them and do more work than that. But that's not my starting point. My starting point is clinicians are burning out because they're trying to work out what they need to do and tick boxes and they are taking and look I think people listening or watching if you're taking your work home with you or you're feeling exhausted or drained at the end of a work day then we've got an issue I was listening to um someone you interviewed uh, was it Caroline Tosh? Yes, Caroline. A couple yes. of episodes ago. And she was talking about what happens when a patient comes in with a particular behaviour. Yeah. How do you respond? And she has some great answers. And I would add to that in the work that I do, this is about what are we bringing to that interaction? Are we aware of our internal responses? So the work I do is all through somatic or embodied work becoming aware of not just our thoughts about that person or what's going on but also about what is happening inside us are we suddenly noticing a feeling in our chest or our stomach are we tensing our our jaw is there something happening with our our body language our reactions how are we responding in that moment because that can teach us something about ourselves yeah, but that's very subtle, isn't it? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And this isn't about let's just get absorbed in that. You're still there holding space for that patient whilst being aware of yourself and what's going on through you. Are we leaping to judgment about a person? That is about us. It is not about them. Caroline said a person's not their behavior. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And that's an excellent point because it's very easy to get judgy about what other people are saying and doing that we don't particularly like. Um, Much more difficult, I think, to separate the behavior from the person. We live in that kind of society, don't we, where we tend to judge a little bit. Mm. That person's all they're a bit arrogant or oh they're really miserable oh here comes so and so if you're looking down your patient list for the day and you're kind of going oh no oh not them (laughs) that is about you as a person it's not about the patient how we respond is about us we have agency over that Uh they're not reaching inside our head and making us feel a certain way that is up to us and what we carry our beliefs and values and things we've perceived in the past and we don't always get it right and we kind of need to leave judgments at the door and have a sense of our own space and this is really important. I talk a lot about boundaries. Um, I don't know whether you come across with your clients. Yeah, boundaries. boundaries, a huge um, element of their work and um, some struggle with that, that they can get very emotionally involved um, 
which you know you can't I mean because they care so much it's not it's not a fault it's it's because they care so deeply um and sometimes it's traumatic if they lose a patient because they you know they've been unwell and um and and, and it's you know it's bereavement on top of that then when it, it's very difficult to separate that out because you know um people are working uh, as a therapist whatever type of therapist are, are, are putting a huge chunk of themselves into that work it's a it's more of a calling than many types of work um yeah. so it's difficult to um, separate out i suppose um and people who find it is a calling you're mm. right they tend to find it more difficult because they are empathetic beings they're yeah. doing it because it's a calling yeah. what i would suggest is rather than empathy empathy is you know we're stepping into someone's shoes doing that mm. and we don't have the right to do that nor do we have the right to pull their emotional state into us and feel it in our nervous system. Because when emotions get in, they get in the way for us. They can get in the way and cloud our judgment. Mm. And what we need is a sense of our own space, our own boundaried space where we can breathe and meet that patient and hear their story with that sense that we can breathe our, in our own space. We are a boundaried being. You know, some people imagine they've got a sort of bubble around them, not a wall. Yeah. <laughs> we, we want to be compassionate, a bubble where good stuff can permeate on through. And other stuff that isn't to do with us stays outside that space. So we can just assess what might be useful here for that person yeah. and we can still be compassionate in that way compassion is far more action orientated yeah oh, i like the idea of a, a protective bubble just around mm -hmm. us to just so that like you say you can you've got the space to breathe and to notice what's happening with another being but you're not getting embroiled in their stuff <laughs> Because it's it's their stuff, and yeah. it's honouring to leave that stuff with them, so we can help them better. Because mm. if we're getting burnt out because we're taking their problems home with us, then we're not going to serve the next person better. Okay. And I, one of the things I hear is, oh, at the end of the end of the week, I am so exhausted, or at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. I don't have time for my hobbies or. Anything that I want to do, I can't be bothered. Or if it's a Monday to Friday job, whatever the days you start on, when someone says, oh, that Sunday feeling, you know, that Sunday evening feeling when I have to go in the next day. Now, if you are feeling that, then listen to it and notice help is required here. Because yeah. that is not the attitude to go in to help patients. And there's no blame here. Burnout is a huge issue. Yeah. Uh, we just need tools and practical strategies. We've got to care for ourselves. Yeah. That means we show up better for our patients. What other sort of symptoms are there of burnout, Sharon? Um, lots. So, you know, the usual ones that we would um, think about are exhaustion. 
right? Mm. Feeling drained. But there are other mood shifts as well. So for some people, it may present as being really frustrated or agitated um, or indifference. Now, that's a tricky one, because once you've reached indifference and you're kind of detached, then the compassion is is not there. It's it's gone, isn't it? And we have to be compassionate. So um, anxiety, you know, before the work day or during the work day that you know so in thinking emotions coming up to the surface now they may be for some people obvious for other people they may be just ticking away almost edging upwards a little bit oh. until they reach that threshold point where people suddenly go i feel anxious well it's been happening all along we want to catch it early if we're tuned into ourselves then we catch it early. Things like brain fog, not being able to think clearly because you're exhausted, um, not being able to focus. Um, and health issues, I would look at those too. So IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, uh-huh. teeth grinding or teeth clenching, um, any sort of pain that moves around. Interesting, because we're talking about... Um, you know, osteos who work with patients who who live with pain or have pain, but anything that moves around, have a check with what else is going on in your life. Are you overdoing it? Are boundaries being crossed? Are you allowing boundaries to be crossed? Are there zero boundaries? (laughs) Do we need (laughs) boundaries? (laughs) Um, So pain, insomnia is a big one. Um, sleepless nights or interrupted sleep Um, so lots of different sorts of things can can come up and as a result work-life balance sort of goes out of the window how many of your clients get home and they suddenly think well I'm just going to answer that email or oh I must do this now (laughs) or they're, they're busy thinking about their patient there's got to be a boundary oh. after the, the end of the work day and then our space, our life. Very true. Very true. I, I, I learned that one early on, actually, because I was so desperate to help everybody. I was replying to texts at nine, ten o'clock and did a night, you know, and this, that and the other. And then one day I was like, no, actually, this is time for me and the old boy now, as I call him. <laughs> And uh, I will not reply to that tonight. I will not even look at it tonight. I will look at it in the morning, first thing. Um, but yeah, I had to catch myself there because I was, you know, too, too enthusiastic to help everyone. And um, it's easily done, isn't it? I mean, before you realise it, um, work is encroaching into your private time and your in your personal relationships, which is, you know, uh, the, the old boy would go, you're not talking about osteobids again, are you? And I thought, oh, I've just inadvertently, my brain's still whizzing. And I had to rope myself in and <laughs> stop talking about work at night time. Um, but it's so easily done, isn't it? When you it love what you do. That's it. It's passion, isn't it? You're passionate about what you do. And yeah. if you want to help others, there's a passion there too. If an idea pops into your head, say an idea pops into your head and it's the 
the evening. It's okay to quickly jot it down so it's out of your head and mm. action it the next day. Yeah, That's I okay. that otherwise it's going to keep floating around. Yeah, and and I was thinking of ideas like butterflies. If you don't trap it, well, not catch it and get it down on paper, it'll float off, and then in the morning you'll go, "I had a great idea last night. No idea what it was." <laughs> yeah, you jot it down on a sheet of paper onto your phone. Quick bullet point will do. The rest will come. It's almost you're pinning it as a, a reminder, and the rest will come. Yeah. Or whenever your next working day is, there's just got to be that boundary. So we're talking personal space boundaries and then boundaries when it comes to time, just mm. making sure we've got time for work and we've got time for rest, play, whatever you want to call it, fun stuff. Yeah, it's got to be there. And if it means creating some sort of ritual between the two, then do so. If it's taking five minutes to reflect upon your day or do some breathing exercises or mm. practice a little bit of mindfulness, whatever you like, if you have a little ritual at the end of your day, just for you then start signaling, that's it. That's the end of my work day. I can move on to other stuff, home stuff, whatever, whatever I wish next. Yeah, I've done that myself with, and I've often advised clients this, um, to sort of uh, try, it's not always easy to do, but to try and leave home life at home when you go into your office, your place of work, your clinic, and sort of leave all that, you know, perhaps you've had a row with him in the morning or whatever it is, <laughs> try to leave that behind the door and then you'll be present in your workspace um, and then try to leave that in your workspace and pick up when you go back out the door, right, I'm going to go and apologise for my behaviour this morning. <laughs> it's not easy to do, but th that's um, what I try to, you know. I work from home, as many of us do, um, mm. and so I use that door as my boundary. Perfect. So I generally don't come in here at weekends or you know unless he's watching the football and I really really want to come and read a book quietly then I, I will because I've got a comfy chair but otherwise I won't come into here at all um, outside of my work hours and that is brilliant boundary setting and for osteos who do work from home is making sure they have a dedicated space oh. now some people may think well I don't I don't have a big enough space to have a dedicated space then just shift furniture around a little bit even if you're in a room that you use for other reasons, say it's your living room, just shift things around a little bit so it doesn't quite look like your living room to you. Oh, just shifting a chair around or something. Yeah, good, good tip. Positioning yourself slightly differently so that you're looking in a different direction that you wouldn't ordinarily sitting in the living room. And that can be your boundary. So that when you're in the living room, you're not seeing your workspace because you're seeing things from a different angle. Clever. Yeah. Good tip. Um, <laughs> so, Sharon, um, tell me, uh, perhaps give me a couple of examples of the type of therapists you've assisted with um, burnout, etc. So this varies. So it's any clinician who sees patients and they're experiencing burnout 
So we have classic um, cases. Um, if I mention a psychotherapist who came to me, mm -hmm. um, so this is obviously a little bit, bit different. She's a trauma psychotherapist, also a lecturer, um, doing wonderful work. And she's been doing, she's very experienced, but she's starting to feel overwhelmed. Um. So it's the work that she felt she she was called to do. So it's that calling thing again. Yeah. But she was dealing with a lot of trauma is, is her speciality. So that's what she's hearing day in, day out. And what she noticed is she was getting repeated infections and she was feeling overwhelmed. So both of these are, as we've mentioned before, health issues that keep recurring. Yeah. And she's feeling overwhelmed, tired. She was also feeling a little bit like she wasn't in love with her work anymore. But she had a concern. She had a concern that if she had boundaries, she wouldn't have empathy. Right. And again, it was that switch to actually a healthy boundary isn't a wall. It may be a bubble. It may look like something else. It's not a shield. It's something gentler than that. Yeah. Just a sense of your own space. So it was a, the work we did was strengthening her and her inner resources. She knows this stuff, but guess what? When you're on the road to burnout or you're burnt out, you don't have access to your resources. True, you may yeah. be able to tell your patients what to do, but you're not quite able to access them yourself. And so we worked through and there were, you know, beliefs she had and expectations she had and, and guilt that she was carrying around things that we needed to work through and i'm trained in trauma-informed approaches so we work through um with those and as we worked through she started realizing she was actually honoring her patients far better by not stepping into their space by keeping out of their space and recognizing that she had her own space and they deserved their space she was able to treat them better and she came up with a different way of working rather than taking work home right and um she started noticing so she was her health was improving the infections started going away yeah so longer periods of just feeling well more clarity and focus and that clarity and focus that she gained meant she realized she loved the work she did but she, there was something else she was denying something else she wanted to explore and because she was burnt out she wasn't seeing that and it she found a way to be able to do both and find that balance so she then had the joy from this other thing that she'd been denying that she was now doing. Uh, and then she had the space to hold for her patients too. And that was a lovely thing. You know, she then had energy to do stuff that was meaningful to her, yeah. more fun in her day. And it's a lovely thing to see how people turn up initially and how their demeanor just changes little shift sometimes it's really obvious you know yeah. they're kind of hunched over and like this and you know they're more kind of open other times it's subtle things like 
their jaw is relaxing, their shoulders look more relaxed, or their breathing rate changes. So lovely. So she was quite a classic sort of example. But if we compare that with a physio um, who came along and he, his, we talked about this briefly um, yesterday, didn't we, Julie? He'd come to me and he said, really happy I love work I love life I feel really lucky just okay (laughs) great (laughs) we dug a little bit a bit deeper and what we found was this mask of happiness was just that it was a mask and he'd been and the thing for him was he actually had been wearing this all of his life it was something he learned as a child for the circumstances that were going on in his life at the oh. time. So he put a mask on, protective, lovely, but he carried it through his life. And he realized what was really happening in his body was that there was this underlying level of resentment because he was pretending to be happy all the time. Yeah. When he first came to me, he told me he was happy. He told me he loved work, that he loved life, that he felt lucky. We go under the surface and we see the reality is he's got this simmering resentment. Um, And he started disliking some patients. Mm. Isn't it interesting? Big red flag, isn't it? (laughs) But the thing is, he wasn't noticing that because the mask he was wearing was so good. Yeah, he was fooling himself. And you uh, surely you can't spot that that you're doing that because you've been doing it for so long. It must be you actually believe you're perfectly happy. I mean, that's quite a job for you to be able to uncover what's really going on for him. And 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 as you did, what was his reaction to discovering that? He wasn't Mr. Happy after all. (laughs) Well, we went very gently because he was telling me he was happy. His facial expressions, his tension that he was holding was telling me something else. Mm. So he'd tell me he's happy and his shoulder would go. I'm like, really? (laughs) What's that about? (laughs) There'll be little giveaway signs that what he was telling me, he's telling me one thing verbally non-verbally his body is telling me something else now i'm not trying to guess what that thing is Mm. i gently say don't know whether you noticed as you said that but this happened your shoulder sort of twitched oh no i didn't notice oh how about you tell me a little bit about work then and we can do it as a body scan exercise so they're tuned into reactions and we slowly build this up this awareness of what is going on internally that embodied awareness because we are embodied beings we have lots of sensory stuff going on and it's tuning into that whereas he was so masked he's conveying happiness to the world and people are feeding that back to him they love being around him because he's fun to be around everyone loves that and internally because he's seeing everyone loves that that continues almost an unconscious response you know we keep it going because we're getting something from it but underneath it there's something else going and so he was um he wasn't shocked because on some level he would have known 
but he did have, you know, lots of aha moments, lots of, oh, I've been wearing a mask. Now, I didn't use the word mask. He did. Oh, really? That's, that's important that I'm not putting words in his mouth. I'm just asking questions. I've noticed this going on. What's happening? And what's that about? We're then exploring the emotions that come up and oh. working through them. And again, lot too much to go into today but you know we are working through leaning in and looking for what that message is because there are messages there not in a magical sort of way but ultimately we're tuning into why we are we have a certain behavioral response whether it's putting a mask on or whether it's reacting a certain way whether we feel frustrated whether we feel like we have to keep on working to prove our worth. Uh, These are all behaviours and there is there will be a reason behind all of that. And we're just gently working through to find out what's going on. He was, this happy chap, supposedly, was getting really anxious about going into work. He was dreading it. And... um. At the point where he realised he didn't need to wear the mask, that was a revelation of, oh, right, I don't need to. But everyone expects that of me. And it's just matching who's the most important person here. In each clinician's life, it's got to be them. You've got to put yourself first. If we don't care for ourselves... If we don't have our own values met, you know, and we're not engaging in a, a life that holds meaning for us away from work, then we do not show up at work for our patients very well. We end up like the the two cases that I, I've mentioned, burnt out in very different ways. They're two different, yeah. different personalities. So there's a range here. So we've explore things like boundaries whether it's time boundaries workspace boundaries certainly our own personal space boundaries where we can breathe and have our sense of, of space that's really important and resources whether it's calm resources confident resources and learning not to step into a patient's shoes unless we're doing it in session for a particular purpose for there to be learning. So with unconscious bias training, um, for anyone who's already done a, a sort of a core training with me and they're ready to, to lean into things that are a little bit more challenging, then within a session or within a group, you may step into a patient's shoes, embody their experience. And I guess it's guesswork, of course, but as best as we can to gain a wider perspective on what may be going on for them. And that can foster compassion. Uh, so we have a back and forth of what that's like. So you re-emerge out of that going, oh, gosh. So that person who I thought, oh, here he is, that angry chap, stepping into their, their space in this sort of way within a session or a group not in the clinic right. can give us a sense of um understanding things can come to the surface a sense of oh that's why 
That's what's right. going on. No amount of thinking. We can think out our way through things, but to actually embody and feel it, that's a whole different level of learning. Um, and I do that kind of work with clinicians who already we've set boundaries in place. We've got, you know, um, calm spaces and and a sense of feeling okay in ourselves confidence calm whatever you want to call it yeah all of that is in place so we don't do that that challenging work until later on but um ultimately everyone's goal is yes they don't want burnout sure Mm. or they want to reduce it but if they didn't have burnout what would their life look like yeah what would be the benefit to them first of all would they be doing differently now they they're not burnt out that they're better how would they sound how would they feel in themselves what would then become a priority and how would they turn up at the clinic if we focus with that end in mind then this work is even more crucial because what are we here for julie yeah. we've got one life yeah and it doesn't half spin by pretty damn quick. <laughs> yeah. It's very true. Very true that we, you know, that work-life balance gets bandied around a lot. Um, but there is something in that that we do need to be able to separate ourselves out from our work, however passionate we are about it. Um, and make sure that we're doing stuff that feeds our soul and gives yeah. us rest and play and fun and family time and so on. Yeah. And if, if someone doesn't know what that looks like for them, then perhaps it's time to explore. Yeah. Some people will say, I don't have any hobbies. I've always just done this. I, I don't know what it is. It's time to explore. We can do values exercises. We can do strength sets exercises to find out what your strengths are things that are that you are sometimes we overuse our strengths you know are there other things that you're not so good at that perhaps you like to exercise more so there are ways to find out what may bring us joy and it may just be a small moment of joy to start off with that's okay yeah yeah I've done something similar recently actually um a a girlfriend of mine was we're saying, you know, us sort of busy, busy women that work hard um, and have got stuff going on with family as well, perhaps. And there's little space for ourselves. And, um, you know, and we, we can be um, very guilty of putting everyone else first. Um, and so she just created a, a, an online space for us and said, Let's just do things that are fun for ourselves. We just have two hours once a week. And she'd been doing a bit of painting. And I, I have had a bit of a dabble in the past, but I was utterly rubbish at school. Like, you know, the poor art teacher used to roll her eyes at my stuff. It was so appalling. I can even draw stick creatures, etc. Um, and this friend was was dabbling with a bit of watercolour. So I, I was about to go on holiday, but I still wanted to join in in this little exercise for a few weeks. And um, so I bought a little travel set of paints and a, and a small um, book for painting. Um, and it was so liberating 
And it was very interesting what came up when I, on the first session, I even though I was on holiday, I was resisting. I could feel resistance after about half an hour. I was like, I should be doing something now. I could be reading a business book I'd brought with me. And yeah. I could be just making some notes about my next blog or whatever. And then and, and I had to pull myself back to the art of just painting what was it. I was just painting the view in front of me out to sea. And then I was painting a flower that was on the balcony in a, in a trough and um, looking at the detail of it. Um, and and ultimately, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. And when I looked back afterwards at what I painted, I thought, you know, it's, it's no Rembrandt, but it's it's very <laughs> it's it, it's not bad. You know, I'd created something better than I'd ever done before in the past with um, using my hands. You know, I'm just I'm I'm creative on like the cookery side of things, mm. on actually drawing and painting uh, I never thought that I was any good but it was just really really good to do something different and explore that and since then since I've come home I you know we carried on for we had a few weeks doing this and it was just fun to work together and create our own things one girl built a bed frame for her daughter and with some kind of cupboard underneath it we were like wow good job what all our wow. um, yeah <laughs> our, our, our voices were um were off um, because she was drilling like mad in the background <laughs> creating this <laughs> this raised bed for her daughter but it you know and we some were writing and it's you know we could do whatever craft we wanted but um it was really liberating and and, and as I say what I noticed was my resistance to allowing myself to do something which was effectively utterly pointless there was no no goal you know I'm always I've got to complete this and do that and as as we often are in business and it it was just nice to just do it for the fun of it and for the um the experiment to see could I paint some flowers that looked remotely like flowers (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's um I like the idea you're saying about just exploring what you might like to do um and it doesn't have to be life-changing or something you do forever does it it just could be well that was fun and maybe I'll get my paints out another day (laughs) and hey if you painted a flower and it didn't look like a flower so what yeah did you have fun whilst attempting to create something you've still created something exactly Um, and what what my friend did actually say was no judgment you know it is art that's it you know you can't say oh her flower looks better than my flower (laughs) just just paint what you see and express yourself in that manner with that medium and 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 don't be judgy about it um so I I really like what you say about um finding other could be simple ways could be knitting it could be anything um just to um explore a, a different aspect of your self and your gifts etc and listening sh- to me, there's that should or i should be i should be oh, yeah the should this i should be doing that should that word sounds like some sort of teacher or yeah you know, it's very it's a directive isn't it you should be doing this who on earth is telling us we should be doing this be hungering <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think you're doing <laughs> 
shift that to, well, I could be doing that, but actually we do need to prioritize these things that are fun, meaningful or moments of joy, whatever it might be. And yeah, as you say, if a person doesn't know what those are for them, then exploring. I love the fact that you create, you know, a group is being created and you're part of that group. That's a lovely thing. We we love connection. And for those people who are introverts, sure, you may just find a, a, an activity that you gel with. But we do have to have a boundary. I was on a, I listened to a coach um, a couple of months ago. And he said something like, um, he was talking about sales and he was saying, why on earth, why are you taking weekends off? If you haven't made X amount of sales, then you don't deserve to take the weekend off. And I thought, well, I think I might just turn you off at this point. Yeah. I thought I'd carry on listening to see what else he came out with. Yeah. But that is the way to burn out. Yeah. Push, we push, are more push. effective if we take time out. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, even when we're driven creatures, um, we st we still need to take that time out to repair and reflect and rest and regroup and come back and go again. <laughs> are we walking the talk? What yeah. are we advising our patients? Are we doing the same? If we're talking to patients about pacing, for example, are we applying that? when required we've got to show up in the world as we'd like other people to to benefit from in a way but first of all it's us that we're okay yeah and that just means we serve better we interact better this isn't just for work this benefits you know the tools that i talk about most of them are transferable you know right. the chap who's wearing a mask at work the physio guess where else he was wearing that mask in his relationships at home no doubt yeah gosh i'm I, i'm glad that he found you <laughs> <laughs> i feel sad for him <laughs> He's, I mean, he's genuinely happy now, so that's good, isn't it? Yeah. And he's he's got time in his day to do things that give him joy. That's what we want, to have that balance. Yeah. And his story isn't unusual. That mask wearing is quite common. If we, we only have to look at social media, don't we, where people are presenting their best self. Oh, yes. We might look and think, wow, they're living an extraordinary life. No one is living an extraordinary life in this sort of way. Because <laughs> if they were, they're not going to be posting it. They're just going to be living it. <laughs> yeah, how true. How true. Yes. Um, actually, I was at an interesting point there. I was at a wedding at the weekend on Saturday and um, I got my phone ready you know, to catch the bride coming in and up the aisle and, and see um, my godson's face and all the rest of it. And um, uh, and the vicar said, please, everyone, there's a very, very expensive photographer in the building. Uh, please put your phones away. Please do not watch this event through a lens 
please be present and watch it yourself and you will get pictures afterwards from this very well-paid photographer and and oh I felt resistance to that as well because I love to capture those moments you know but I thought what a good wake-up call actually that we are doing this quite a lot um you know we are viewing the world through a lens and and just sharing the good bits and not so much you know real life um and um and to just take a step back sometimes yeah i mean osteos clinicians they may look at another clinician and think oh wow they're doing so well oh they oh gosh how are they doing that perhaps there's a little bit of envy um or there's you know it, whatever is coming up so you are seeing a small part of a person's life that they're um, possibly allowing seeing, you to see. <laughs> yeah, seeing the whole not whole allowing world. you to see the, the yeah. other ragged bits. <laughs> we all have ragged bits. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's the reality. <laughs> Keep them hidden away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so um, Sharon, uh, I know you've, you have created a um, a 30-day workshop. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because it sounds fascinating. So it focuses on what we've been talking about. Um, so it's the embodied clinician. So we're talking the embodied, we're talking about what comes up in your body, right? So the shoulds may come later, but what was happening when that resistance was going on for you? you know, what was happening? And we worked through things like that. But... Mm. The embodied clinician, what we're doing with this, it's a really lovely foundation piece that means people start reducing burnout or prevent it in the future yeah. by looking at um, healthy rituals that can, or healthy practices, healthy strategies that can be um, embedded into the day. So often people say, I don't just don't have the time. Like, well, do you have 30 seconds? Oh, mm. uh, okay. <laughs> have you got 15 seconds? Because some of these are 15 seconds. Wow. We set it up first. Um, and then you go away and apply it, you feed back. We look at within sessions. So the, the 30 days, there are two practical workshops so saturday november the 11th and saturday november the 25th they're only two and a half hours each i like people to show up live when it's a program like this but some people may only be able to make one and that's okay as long as they can make one of those dates yep they will be recorded because you're not going to learn things feel them in the session and then try and remember it you will have replays um and there are one-to-ones with me and that's important because things come to the surface even when i've seen this with clinicians when we work in groups that someone may be stepping into a safe space and that feels unsafe for them uh. or they you know stepping into a happy space or they can't find a happy space they can't find something like that and we want people when they are stepping in to feel safe that they can. So those two sessions, one's a focus setting session. So we're talking about start with the end in mind. What are we working towards here? 
let's make this a goal that is meaningful for you. And if I ask, how much do you want that in a zero to 10 scale and you tell me five, then we want to know what's going to take that up to a six or a seven. This has to be something that matters. Yeah. The initial thing may be I want to avoid burnout or I want to reduce burnout. I don't want to feel so exhausted. I don't want to feel frustrated. I don't want to feel detached. I want work life back. Great. But what does that mean for you? If burnout disappeared, what would life look like? Mm. So we're working towards that. So there's a focus setting session. And then there's a, it's my phone going off, reminding me to do something. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, and then there's a deep dive with me. So if something comes up that is challenging, then we have a one-to-one and I'm keeping the group itself small. So everyone gets attention. They're online. Um, it's not a webinar format. You know, this is going to be a group of clinicians that works together, that supports each, supports each other or encourages yeah, they're, they're there as cheerleaders for each other because there'll be wisdom in that group. Oh, yeah. There'll be a, a Facebook group where they can share their wisdom or their experiences or their stuck points and they can learn from each other. So that's open um, once we get started. And I will, I tend to keep groups open after we have the 30 days, I keep them open because there'll be even more growth that happens. And it's nice to just pop in and, and see what's what's going on. I'll be in there four days a week because guess what? I'm boundaried with my time. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm very glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and there'll be MP3s, there'll be exercises. Ultimately, the aim is at the end that they have um a sort of personalized set of tools, go-to tools in their toolbox. So some of these will be to get out if they're feeling burnt out, but most of them are going to be preventative in the first place. They prevent it from happening. They will work on the burnout, but then to just introduce some of them into their healthy practices. They're not burnout practices. Mm. They're health practices for us to remain healthy human beings going through life with balance with bits of joy with feeling like that calling we're doing the best we can with what we have and that's okay none of us are perfect we can allow ourselves to make mistakes but feeling grounded and safe in our own space so we, you know, we work through all of those things in, in the 30, 30 days and they'll have a lovely selection of tools. Some people will prefer guided MP3s. Within the one-to-one that people have with me, they'll have a personalised MP3 that, that comes out of that. Um, and, you know, ultimately we want clinicians to be well. And yeah. if we're up here just thinking about I should be doing this or I should be doing that, and we forget about our body, then we're missing out on what's what's going on. We need to look after the whole of our being. So that kicks off. So the first workshop, November the 11th, um, there is, and the key point here, Julie, is people can't just book straight on. Right. 
Um, and there's a reason for that, because I want to make sure it's appropriate. I want to make sure it's a good fit. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I always allow people to book in for a free chat with me. So we take half an hour, maybe 40, 45 minutes to chat through priorities, see what, what may be missing, what's happening in their lives at the moment, and maybe tools they already know that we can bring up. Or I may give them something in that free in that free call, and then we'll explore if the embodied clinician program is right, because that's important. Yeah, I like that. And how would they um, get in touch with you, Sharon, to uh, to talk to you? So I will share a link. Um, so I've got a Bitly link. <laughs> Great. So it's a short link. Uh, so it's a bit dot ly forward slash embodied chat. Embodied chat, and that'll whiz them through to your diary. Whiz them through to my diary, and they can book in. And I would suggest booking before before the tenth of November, and, and that means if they want to go ahead on the eleventh with that first workshop, then great, um, and we we find us a good fit. If it's after that, then they've missed the boat for this one, unfortunately. <laughs> and I know that it's, you know, with the podcast, people may listen after after this and think, oh, yeah. but I wanted to do that. What do I do? They can still book in and they'll be on the waiting list and I will notify them of next time. But if someone is listening and they find that stuff that I've said is resonating and they kind of realise, yeah, I'm not very good at boundaries. <laughs> I'm a little bit burnt out. I have some of those those things coming up for me, those symptoms coming up for me, then I would encourage them to to book a call and we will we will explore together. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I do know that you also have a, a rather handy freebie, Sharon. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, handy freebie. Um, so this is a boundaries checklist. Okay. And so nine boundaries. And we're looking at practical strategies that can be applied. So it's a checklist. So depending on whether you are self-employed or you are employed in the private sector by an organisation or you're in, in the NHS or, or national health or public health, mm -hmm. there's a page dedicated depending on which one of those you fall into. So pick the page that's appropriate for you and you'll have nine strategies and Week by week, you can pick one strategy. So, for example, it may be, oh, you're going to shift your workspace around a little bit. Or it may be no emails after a certain time. Whatever it is that you select that one and you just see whether you can action that for a week. And at the end of the week, you can just tick the box. You can access this on your smartphone, smart device, on your desktop, laptop, whatever you want. Um, you can just... Um, tick the, the box off or check the box off once you've completed that and you feel like right I've done that one what am I going to focus on next week and so it's gentle so you can do it over four weeks each week picking one and if you think actually what I want is something else there's another sort of boundary or another thing that I need to do there's space for you to pop that in and work on that and tick that off and there's a, a little bit of reflection at the end as well so let's say you've picked something and you've not actioned it there's a little space for you to reflect on that and, and work out what got in the way and what mm. needs to happen to shift that next time 
Um, so it's just nice. You can then see a little bit of growth and it's a good starting point for people. It's, you know, a checklist. it's a mm. good sort of, yeah. And it's, there's an awareness that, that comes as well as you read through thing. Oh yeah. Uh, it looks oh, I like I might be I missing some boundaries here. <laughs> <laughs> so the checklist really works on it's time boundaries, workspace boundaries, workday boundaries. Right. The 30-day program is those things, but mainly personal space boundaries and the feeling of ourselves in different situations, whether it's with a patient or knowing that you're going to be learning transferable tools. So they fit in quite nicely together, the, the two of them. So the freebie is also a bit.ly link because why not? <laughs> um, and that's bit.ly um, forward slash nine boundaries. Boundaries, and um, they can also find more information about you on your website, which is Sharon. Yes, they can. Um, Sharon, Sharon dot health. Yeah, simple as S H E R E N dot health. Exactly that. They may need to put a www dot in front of all of that. I don't. I, I don't do that anymore, and I get where I want to go. So hopefully, but not. sometimes, sometimes it requires. It's... Sometimes it requires it. So yeah, chuck it I am on social media, so I hang out on LinkedIn and Instagram mostly. Um, used to hang out on Twitter a lot because that's where med twitter was huge at one point it's slowly starting to implode i wonder why that might be (laughs) (laughs) um but yes come and seek me out if if anyone's on on linkedin or instagram um come and find me um and i know you'll share links and and things and my full name (laughs) yes but instagram is easy uh, uh, instagram is sharon.health there you go i'm at sharon.health I must come and find you track you down (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much Sharon for spending time with me today because it's a fascinating topic it's a very important topic um, particularly for therapists so um, I'm glad that uh, despite you having had to have gone through a bit of a a traumatic time yourself with um, chronic pain etc that Similarly to my life, this seems like all the strands that we've experienced uh, and lived through have come together to, ah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I, I don't, you know, it's not that I kind of look back and think, oh, that was brilliant. I'm so glad I went through all of that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Something really positive has come out as a result for both of us. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be here doing the work that I do and loving it if it weren't for that experience I don't know I cannot I cannot comprehend what you went through it is impossible because I haven't had that experience thank goodness (laughs) but you know you having experienced that it it is important in your work isn't it because you have a greater understanding of of what that kind of experience does to a person yeah and and that's where boundaries are super important if a clinician has ever experienced something themselves Mm. and someone comes in with a similar issue again we mustn't step into their space or kind of just that boundary if that is firm then we're okay so one of the things that happened to me when 
I first started out, one of the worst pains I had was pelvic pain. So anytime I saw someone with pelvic pain, guess what happened? Give me a day or two and suddenly my symptoms were back. <laughs> so there was a real boundary issue. And these days, not only can I work with people with pelvic pain, I'm a trustee of a medical charity, the, the Vulval Pain Society. Right. I can do that work because I have boundaries in place. I have the sense of my own space. I can breathe. And other people's experiences are their experiences. And we're all different. Mm. So, yes. It's important that I, I have the knowledge from the patient perspective, but each patient, they're a unique human being. And the bit that I bring, I suppose, is how would I have wanted to have been treated when I was ill? That's the compassion I bring. This is what the patient deserves. It's also that. what I deserve, being kind to myself, because I certainly saw a lot of burnt out clinicians during my journey when they just thought there's nothing we can do for you. They didn't look too pleased with themselves. So, again, making sure we're not putting too much pressure on ourselves. If someone returns and let's say after a few sessions, they don't seem to be getting better. Um, I work differently because I'm working with people with, with persisting pain. But if someone comes along and it's a short term pain thing and they're not getting better, this is not about us as clinicians. Don't make it personal. Make it more of a, it's a mystery. It's a, oh, this is interesting, an investigation. What do it. we need to do here? Be curious. Yeah. And be aware of, of space. Gosh, we've talked for ages, haven't we, Julie? <laughs> so we're going, we're, we'll wrap up now, but it's been absolutely fascinating. I'm sure that we could talk for the rest of the day. <laughs> we'll end there with a massive thank you to you, Sharon, for your time and, um, and expertise. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Julie, for asking me. Thanks for listening to the Osteo Business Podcast. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe on all Jilly's channels, which can be found in the show notes. Jilly's back soon with more tips, ideas, and strategies to build your thriving practice. <laughs>